0: So, will you come and follow me? Will you leave yourself behind? John Bell with words that ring true for our Bible reading today also. There's really three things that I want to talk about today that come from this first reading and our second one. Three statements that Jesus makes, though, in that first reading. I must love God more than anything else. I must bear my own cross to follow him. And upon counting that cost, am I ready to pay? Our reading starts on the road with Jesus. And as ever on his journey to Jerusalem, he is accompanied by a large crowd of followers. Now the interesting idea here is that you can quite easily follow without being a disciple. And I'm sure that some of those following Jesus were doing so just for the entertainment and the fun. Some were happy to follow while the going was good and easy, but once things got tough, they would quickly disperse. Like when somebody supports a football or a rugby team while they're winning, they brag to their friends who support other teams, about how great their team is. But then when they start to slip down the table, perhaps even out of the league, the supporter suddenly changes their mind and their allegiance, claiming to have supported his new team all along. I'll just say how many Manchester City fans have sprung up out of nowhere in the last five years. The important thing to note here before he has even spoken a word, is that Jesus is talking to those who have followed already. This isn't a statement made to convert people. This is a statement made to the very people who call themselves followers. Jesus says, and in my Bible translation it's slightly different, says, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. A lot of Bible versions do opt for this translation with that word hate. But interestingly, it's a form of the Greek word that simply means that you love that thing more than something else, more than whatever else you're talking about. So here Jesus says that we must love him more than anyone and anything else. And not just more than those people we know who are acquaintances, not just more than those people we know as friends, but more than our very own families, our fathers, mothers, wives, children, brothers and sisters. Jesus is not saying here that we must love these people less in order to love him more. He's not saying that you should purposefully not be as nice to your family, spend less time with them, don't do them favours when they ask you for things. But I really want us to think about what he's asking. You know how much you love those people. Those people that are dearest to you in the world. The people who brought you up from a baby, gave you life food, safety, love and taught you so much the person who you have chosen to spend your life with who you love more than anyone else, who is literally your other half and your soulmate, the children who are your flesh and blood, who you would die for and the siblings who have shared the whole journey with you they all come second best to God And it doesn't end there. As well as loving God more than all of these, he says we must love him more than ourselves. Just being human, we have a tendency for egotism, for looking out for ourselves, making sure that we and those around us come first. Even the most pious among us is egocentric and selfish. And I say that because I compare us to the greatest example ever set. We can never pretend to be comparable to Christ. He is far beyond anything we could even imagine and did things that we would never even think of in our wildest dreams. Compared to him and his example, we think about nothing more than ourselves and those things that interest us. Jesus says in our reading that we need to stop that and we need to put God first. That first section of this reading is simple enough to analyse. You must put God before everyone else, including yourself. But what about this next sentence? Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What does Jesus mean with these words? When I first read this, I just assumed it was not going to be the literal. And I think in some ways it doesn't mean that. But it's not something you can rule out. In Iraq, under the governance of Saddam Hussein, Christians, the same as people of other religions, were protected. But when the West toppled his uh, regime, they started that string of catastrophes. We know where this has led to. The Christians, once protected there, were under threat. And now we have seen that worse has happened. In Iraq and Syria, Christians have been hunted and chased out of their homes, told to convert to Islam, pay a heavy tax, or flee away. And even upon fleeing, they are stopped, they are stripped of all their possessions, and told to go. Worse still, They have been brutally tortured and even killed. There are Christians who have woken up this morning in that area of Iraq and Syria who do not know if they will see to the end of the day. They don't know if they'll be sleeping in the same bed tonight. They don't know whether their faith can withstand Brothers and sisters, we do not know how blessed we are this morning to sit here and hear the word of God preached, to sing to his great name and love. How blessed we are not to be sitting here wondering if someone is ready to burst through the doors and shoot us where we sit. Our Christian brothers and sisters are in desperate need of our prayers this morning. And those who terrorise them are in even more desperate need of our prayers. Desperate need to hear the good news and to truly feel God's love. Because once you have felt that, there is no other way but his. So whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In today's world and situation... It's not beyond the realm of thinking, the literal. But there is another meaning. Not separate from that idea, but I think alongside it. That he's not asking us to literally carry our cross alongside him, but rather he's asking us to give up the idea that we are in control. To give up the idea that we know what's best for us. To give up that idea that we have power. We must die to self-will and embrace God's will, no matter the cost. We must give up what we want to do and accept what God wants us to do. Even when the cross is what we might face, we must trust him. The imagery this brings forth is mind-blowing. He asks us to lift up our cross and carry it, following him, And I get this picture of my Jesus walking before me, cross on his back, trudging his way to Calvary, and me with my cross walking behind him, following him to that place of skulls. But what is my cross? What am I bearing? Well, I'm bearing the weight of my sins on my spirit. I look to Jesus ahead of me and I realise that to reach him and to journey with him, I must bring my sins to him. I must bear that cross and bring it to him because when I reach him and when I've brought my sins to him, it is those sins that I will die to. Those sins that I will die to but not by joining Jesus on a cross. I may have to bear it and bring it to him but I do not have to endure its wrath. Because when we reach Calvary with the Lord, he doesn't just have his cross, but he takes mine as well. And he takes yours. Every last one of our crosses. Every last one of our sins. He takes your cross. He takes your death that you deserve and he dies it for you. I must carry my cross no matter what the consequences. And at the end of it, Jesus takes my sin and my pain through his death. But then he gives me joy. He gives me life. And he gives me new life through his resurrection. So when I carry my cross to him, as Paul's put so beautifully, I die to sin and I am alive in Christ. So knowing the cost, knowing that we must put God before everything, knowing that we must follow God's will no matter what the cost, are we willing to pay? As Jesus says, who first starts to build a tower without first counting the cost? Who goes to war without first assessing whether you have a chance of winning? And it's the same for us. It is a war that we are in. Firstly, a war against sin, which is a war that is already won through Christ. But also we are in a war against the world and the ways that go against Christ's way. The Islamic State take their fight to the world through violence, terror, and anger. You follow their way or ultimately they kill you. When we take our fight to the world, We do so as Christ would. First of all, we do not need to fight his battle. He will come again in glory to judge the living and even the dead. God's wrath will be satisfied. Knowing that Jesus is coming, how ridiculous does it then seem to try to go out with a sword or gun to fight for him physically? God does not need our help there. That, as I mentioned earlier, is not where our fight is or how it is to be fought. In our second reading, John writes that by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Christ was that perfect example and we should follow that on. We may be following Jesus already just by being here this morning. But are we disciples for him? Have we really given ourselves to him? And are we ready to put him first in everything? Whatever the answer would be that comes from our mouths is irrelevant, because as John writes, whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. He knows everything, and you cannot hide from God. We need to be ready to live as Christ would. And Christ didn't say one thing and do another. The word he professed, he lived by. John says, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. We can't proclaim to be Christian and then not live it out in our lives by living them for Jesus. It is difficult especially if we're carrying our cross or if we should face persecution of any kind. We said earlier that we are egocentric and where possible, we would choose what's best for us, even if that means saying that we don't know God. Peter knew that all too well. It is not about making split-second decisions to choose God, And to show faith, but rather it's something deeper. Paul said in Romans 12: Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In order to make the right choices for God at all times, even when it seems impossible, We must have a renewed mind, a mind set on Christ, a mind ready and equipped to deal with anything that the world throws at us, because our mind is in Christ. And that's the key. If we have a renewed mind, which is in Christ, set on Him and His ways at all times, then we will be good disciples we will make the right decisions. It won't be easy. It will involve a lot of Bible study to stay connected with him and a lot of prayer. And I'm sure that we will not always get it right. But that's the great thing because God is with us. If our heart and mind is set on him, he will be with us. If we stray away, he will call us back. If we have devoted ourselves to him, he will walk with us. So as we go from here today, knowing the cost of following Jesus, knowing the growing threat to Christians around the world, the question is not, are we going to have to pay for being a disciple of Christ? The question we need to ask ourselves is, when the time comes, are we ready to face up to that battle? Are we ready to pay the price for following him? If you're sitting there not sure that you are ready, then you're probably a lot more honest with yourself and knowing where your help and salvation comes from. And so you're a lot closer than you think. Hold fast to Christ, brothers and sisters, For he is the way, the truth, and the life, for ever and ever. Amen.